With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Just Want a Quilt, a research podcast coming out of Tulane University Law School, where we explore all kinds of things, stories about quilting, tools, field trips, maybe some famous quilters stop by, and of course, a little bit of copyright thrown in just for fun. This is Elizabeth Townsend Gard. I'm a law professor at Tulane University Law School, and I just want a quote. So today, a very famous quilter stops by. Yeah, pretty amazing. So Victoria Finlay Wolf is with us. Okay, I don't even know how to describe her. She is an artist. She makes fabric, she makes patterns, she makes templates. She has a studio in New York. She's insanely cool. She teaches. She's got her own shop with her shop has only her stuff in it. That's how much stuff she's created. She's amazing. So she talks to us about art and quilting and her life, and it's awesome. Okay. My name is Victoria Finley Wolf, and I'm calling from New York City. Awesome. Um, okay, so we start with the first question, which is what's your first memory of someone sewing or quilting in your life? Uh, in my house, that would be probably from my earliest, probably kindergarten is probably when I can first remember that. Um, my, we slept under quilts that were made by my grandmother. My mother was a seamstress for Finger Hut for many years. What is Finger Hut? Um, she what made was, all what of was, my clothes. What is Finger Hut? Finger Hut. Uh-huh. Finger Hut is a mail order company that's been around forever. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And my father also had an upholstery business uh, on the farm. So everybody sewed. It was just a natural thing. It's what you did. And I've been watching, um, in preparation for this, I got to watch lots of videos about you. So I've learned a lot about your um, stories that you tell about your, that your family and the quilts that you, you slept under and polyester. And um, they're great. Like, they're great stories. Um, and that you were trained as an artist. Um, and now you are a most amazing, famous quilter with a gargantuan empire and everybody adores you that's that is my summary of sort of who you are and when I told the quilting army because we call um the Facebook group I call my we call ourselves a quilting army when I told them they were just so excited they had all these great stories about how when you go to teach you are super kind to people and you hang out with them and somebody told me to ask you about made fabric um they're they're madly in love you've got your fan base loves you and I am beyond excited that you're here and I feel super honored um that you are joining us uh to chat well it's a good thing it's not video because that's very embarrassing just about everything <laughs> very funny. well again you're yeah. amazing and um one of the Odd things that, yeah whatever I'm having trouble with this. I just think that's all very odd. I'm, I'm a maker. I make things. I'm an artist from my core from yeah. ever since I was five years old. I said I would be an artist. So I just make things. It's what I do. So, yeah. So it's really interesting. I was thinking about your life because I've been watching lots of videos about you or of you. And I thought, you know, what really struck me was when you talked about 
like when you're a trained painter and sculptor and photographer and now and now you're you know, you're a quilter obviously and um you said that when you painted you were painting your sadness and when you quilt it's all about joy and I wanted you to sort of talk a little bit more about that and also I thought about your life how different your life must be sort of artists have a lot of solitary time and your life being a being an artist that's a you know a quilter in this industry that's kind of the opposite of it it seemed like a very different life being a painter versus being you know empire builder in the quilt industry um well i don't even know where to start with that now sorry I, <laughs> sorry i'm like kind of fangirling just a little bit and so my questions are a little over, like overly prepared usually i'm just like hey guys what's going on but it just seemed like painting if you're a painter you could be an extraordinarily famous painter right now, right? And you would still be solitary. You'd have fans, but it would be really different than a life, your life now, I would imagine. So let me comment on that first. I'm a very introverted person. I much prefer to be sitting at my sewing machine than to be talking to people. Um, the aspect of what I do now is completely learned. It is not something that makes me very comfortable. Um, I can do it because I've done it so many times that, you know, I've learned. I've learned how to stand in front of somebody, have people look at me, which makes me very uncomfortable. And um, I, I can talk about quilts because quilts is something that I'm very passionate about. And that's the maker in me as an artist. I can talk to you about what I want to do. But when it comes to turning that off and having to just be, I'm a very quiet person. Really interesting. <laughs> so that is... That is completely learned and I I enjoy a good laugh because my life is based on looking for joy so if it's not bringing me joy I will move on so when it becomes too much I pull away and that's that's my normal behavior where most people would be like I don't believe it I don't see it I've heard your lecture you make me laugh right. or whatever like I, I can find the joy, but that is also a lot of work for me to be able to do that. And I that's think that's pretty common among most artists. Yeah. No, I love, I, that's really interesting. I think incredibly inspiring too, because I think, you know, things like that. I mean, so I have a tendency, again, I'm, I'm usually like really normal, but right now I'm so not. So, um, so I was a super, super, super shy child, um, to the point where I never got in trouble for talking until I was in junior in high school ever. Um, but then the boy that I fell in love with and married a long time after that, um, he taught me how to be human kind of thing. Like I could talk with people and be all that. So I find that really inspiring that like you can have this outward, professional thing like like you've learned it and that you can still have your in inside inward quiet space I think that's really interesting and I think in some ways super um you know like inspiring in some way right that you can be quiet and an introvert and still like have a public persona and recognize those are two different things um and I think that's really cool uh do you feel like well, how do you deal yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Part of that is when, when you're trying to find the joy, if, if I'm teaching and I can see that I'm having an effect to my students, that's the part that brings me joy as well. So that's the part that keeps pulling me outside of my shell. So with, with that's the gift that quilting has given me is that it has pulled me out of my own shell so that that's I can really have cool. 
That's very cool. Yeah. Now, how do you feel about all of the sort of pressure of social media and being present and all of that? Do you feel like, is that a, yeah, how do you feel about all that? Um, part of it comes with the job and part of it is still part of my process. Um, so as a maker, I make 24 seven. That's what I do. I'm creating. So whether I'm showing something on Instagram to possibly inspire you, whether it's for a new product that I have or a new, new, uh, commission that I finished, you know, I'm showing it because I'm proud of what I've done, but I'm also inspiring you when you're looking at it going, Oh my God, well, I could do that again. That's how it comes back to me. So all of that, even though it's social media presence, whatever that is still, it falls under the part of the process. The yeah. process to me is the part that's the most inspiring and the most interesting. Um, when I'm working on a quilt, it's the idea. It's the start of the idea. It's the things that get me from A to B to C to E in the project and by the time I finish the project, I'm done with it, I'm over it, I'm not interested in it anymore and I'm ready to start the next project. It's really interesting. Yesterday, we had, yesterday I had someone from Germany talking about, she had posted some, uh, a picture online and then another group someplace in the world um, was made versions of it and told her about it and she freaked out a little bit because she didn't really expect all of that. When you post online, is there an expectation that you're inspiring, that people may try to copy it? Like, does it... Ah, puppies. <laughs> it's good. Don't do that. What happened? Wait a minute. It's all good. Um, Might be one more little bird. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Um, is, is, like, when you... I guess, you know, when I was talking to her, I was like, well, you control when you post. I'm just okay. having her take the bell off. Excuse me one second. Okay. Monica. Monica. Um, I don't know. For the minute, she's not working. <laughs> um, you control when you post, but that's like, then it goes out in the world. Do you feel that way that you, because I've heard on some of your, like you can't show things because it's going to be in the book and like, like there's a recognition that like the moment it's out there, it's a different, it's got a different life. Do you feel that way? Oh, absolutely. Um, there's also this sort of reinvent the wheel sort of a thing. Not really reinvent the wheel, but the, the, the power of constantly creating something to keep people interested. So there's a pressure to that. Although I don't really have a problem with that because I've always got a thousand ideas going in my head. And <laughs> so I have more of, a, more of an issue that when, when I put out a book, um, some of the quilts will be patterned and some of the quilts will not be patterned because I do create as an artist and I also create uh, as uh, commercially. Yeah. So things... I make things that I want to make specifically, I will have other ideas and those other ideas are the patterns that I'll put out that everybody else wants to make or that they can make because they're more commercially driven. Yeah. Um, both of those styles of quilting are very important to me. Now we have fire engines. That's okay. Welcome to New York City. Totally. <laughs> it's great. It's authentic. Um, so well, Both of those sides of the spectrum yeah. really 
interest me. So I love to create the quilts that I want to make. My point to the, about the book, and some of them are patterned and some are not patterned, or that if a quilt is um, that I've shown is not patterned and not available, that is because I've made it specifically for personal reasons, and I don't want that quilt copied. That's really interesting. It's not meant to have another so you, quilt exactly I, like it. I like that. That's... That, is that I do make quilts that my whole teaching philosophy, though, is actually that you can create something that looks more you than me. I don't want you to make my quilts. I want you to make your quilts. I'm teaching you how to look at shapes. I'm actually teaching how to look. I'm not even really teaching how to do anything else. I'm showing you how you can look at these shapes and put colors and you know, and materials together in a way to make something that reflects you. Quilting for me is a very personal journey. I'm making the quilts that I want to make for myself. Every quilt I make is definitely part of a healing journey because that's what I'm doing. I'm doing it to heal something that brings joy. That's really interesting. Um, I like have a thousand questions off of that. So you were part of a book called um, Quilting, is it uh, Quilting and Healing or Quilting and Health? No, what is it called? Quilting yes. and... Oh, it's at the end. I thought we were going to get to that there. Uh, quilts and health. Um, yes. Tell me sort of, and I really do, I mean, the end of, so I quilt every night. I'm not a good quilter. I'm an okay quilter. I'm like an intermediate quilter. And I don't care. I don't want people seeing my quilts. I'm, it's a private thing. But I also see it as super healing. At the end of the day, um, that there's a space. It does, it feels like I'm healing by quilting. And I'm curious what you just talked about like that. Tell me what your thoughts are about sort of that, that intersection of, of quilting and healing. And well, sometimes I don't know what I'm healing when I'm making something. Sometimes the story presents itself later. Sometimes it has a story that kicks it off. So the quilt that is in uh, Quilts and Health is uh, based on a quilt. So when I was growing up on the farm, if you were sick and you had to stay home from school, we had a quilt that was called the sick quilt. Mm. And we would get to snuggle under this quilt. And it was super soft. It had Indian cotton on one side. It had raw cotton in the batting on the, and the, and the, sorry, I just said the inside. On the outside of the quilt, Indian cotton, raw cotton in the inside, and a very soft, um, soft, um, small corded corduroy, red corduroy on the back of the quilt. And it's Minnesota, it's cold. We didn't have heat on the farm. We had wood stoves. So if the wood stoves burn out, it's very cold. So we would have this super snuggly quilt that we got to sleep under. So once I became a parent and my daughter was little, I thought, well, gee, if that quilt is still around, I, I might actually like that. So I called my mother up and I said, is that quilt still around? She said, sure. So she sent it out and we use that as the sick quilt. And as soon as it came into my life, my daughter was super sensitive to very soft fabrics. Things have to be soft or she wouldn't put them next to her skin. And so when she felt that quilt, she decided that was going to be her quilt on her bed. So never mind the fact that the quilt was now probably 40 to 45 years old. <laughs> She's now sleeping under it you know, on her bed for quite a few years and it's just disintegrating. So I decided that I needed to make a new sick quilt. So that's the quilt with the story that's in that book. And that started out when I had... With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. 
No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. First found a quilt blog online and Tanya Rikuchi, uh, she did wordplay word quilts, was doing a lot of different challenges. And I was so inspired that I was like, this, this woman is just right up my alley because I just cut stuff up and sew it back together, not knowing that there were quilt patterns and all of these designs. I just thought you cut stuff up and sewed it together because that's how I saw my mother make clothing because she didn't need patterns to be able to do that. My father would take apart furniture and sew it back together without a pattern. I thought that's just what you did. My grandmother made scrap quilts where the pieces were already pre-cut for her and thrown in a bag because she was an arthritic invalid and couldn't use the scissors. So my mom and her sisters would cut all the fabrics apart. So she was using things as they were found and not using a pattern. I thought that's what you did. So I cut a bunch of fabrics apart and I started building this improvisational quilt, which turned out to be, it says, what does it even say? Rest, get well, chicken soup, some stuff like that. Yeah. And you know, made a nurse and medicine and healing and red crosses and like all of these things that represent um, feeling better. And then I put the red corduroy on the back of the quilt. So I thought, well, since the other quilt was falling apart, now we have this um, raw, beautiful, um, pieced with love and it's going to make her feel better. And then there again, there's the joy right at the end of it. There's the joy. That's right. There's the joy. Um, yeah, I think it's really interesting. I keep, when I talk, I feel like as makers and as people who spend a lot of time with, with fabric that as you quilt, you, there's something more happening that it isn't just about sewing pieces together, that there's love, there's, there's, there's something going into those quilts that even when you pick up an old quilt, maybe it's just something you're putting on, like I'm, you know, projecting onto it, but it just seems like a lot more than just fabric to me do you feel that way about quilting that you're putting a a bit of yourself into every quilt that you make every quilt I make will have a story if it doesn't have a story I call them a nothing quilt sometimes you just have to make a nothing quilt you just need to cut some stuff apart and sew it together and just let it be but even at the end of that there will often be a story so whatever happened during those moments that you were sewing those stitches together yeah you're putting a little bit of yourself into that and I think I don't think all quilters get that. I don't think everybody realizes or, or quilts for that same purpose. Some people just do it to relax and that's all it is. Some of them are, you know, uh, are obsessive about it. I definitely fall into that category. Um, so it, I don't think it really matters, but I think everybody does come at it from a different perspective. I personally, I want that story in there. I want it to do something. I want it to move me. I want it to bring emotions when I'm looking at it. You know, I want to feel something. Um, and that's that's just very important to me to be able to do that. So very cool. Okay, so it seems like there is this moment in quilting that happens around 
2006, 2007, 2008, that the generation that sort of dominates quilting, I think about you, I think about um, Jenny Doan, think about um, Tula Pink, Mary Fonz, like you all are sort of beginning your, I mean, every time I talk to one to one of you amazingly famous uh, empire building quilters, it's happening around that particular time. Even the, um, the, uh, the Crafty Gemini, do you guys, do you see a generational shift? Do you see that? Do you see your cohorts in that same way? Like there's something going on there that is different. It's a new generation, a new way of thinking. I don't know. I, I, it's kind of interesting that you're all starting about that time. Well, I've been doing this since 2008. I don't know about everybody else, but I've been quilting for 35 years. So yeah. I don't think of it as building something. Like I said, I've been making things since I was five. So yeah. I consider from then, I mean, I'm just doing what I'm doing because I'm going to do it, whether anything else is happening or not. Yeah. I always tell people in my lecture, I might not be quilting tomorrow because I can go do something else. Yeah. I can go cut tomatoes. I can go pull weeds in my garden. I can go recover and refurnish a piece of furniture. All of these things bring me joy. At this particular moment, I'm using textiles. Yeah, that makes sense. So yeah. I, I'm just doing what I, that's just where I'm at at this particular moment. And whether I have any of the other stuff, it makes no difference to me. Yeah. I just want to keep making. So um, when you say that the quilt con, winning quilt con started it all for you, what do you mean by that? Like, do you mean like in terms of, tell me what you mean by that. I didn't say that. You didn't? Other people have said that. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think that started anything. I was, I'd already been, like I said, I started in 2008 quilting full time. So yeah, I'd already had a book out by the time QuiltCon came along. Yeah. I started my blog in 2009. Yeah. Uh, people like, people think that that started everything for me. I've been doing this for much You've longer. Just been doing than it, yeah. This is about putting the time in and, and putting my work in. That quilt, that one night quilt con uh, was a very personal journey for me. And I and I had planned, when I'd finished that, I actually considered not entering it because I didn't think people would understand it. And it was a pivotal moment in uh, a process change for me. And I felt very connected to that quilt and had a million ideas that happened within that one project. And I went on to make, that was the first of 13 quilts that I made just for myself from every idea that I'd received while making that first quilt that led to me making 13 more, which is now over 70 double wedding rings. That moment though, of those 13 quilts that I made, there were quilts that I had to make for myself. They were not made to be in a book. I made the quilts. They were all a personal journey. I made all of them and which led to more of course, um, and then those quilts went on to be exhibited and then the book came later about double wedding rings that that pretty much sums up a lot about how I work in general I make the quilts and then they kind of become a life of their own that's really interesting I was going to ask you about that because I was curious when do you know what a quilt is while you're making it like you're talking about sort of quilts that are private quilts that have patterns quilts that don't have patterns do you at at this stage in the game do you have a sense of what that quilt is when you're working on it or does that come later or like where 
How does that, how do you make a decision on that? All of my quilts are completely improvisationally based, whether they have a traditional uh, visual to them or not, whether they're a pattern or not, they all start out completely improvisational. I cut fabrics, I push things around on my design wall until I get an idea. Then the, I, then the shapes and the form and the pattern start to evolve. Maybe sometimes I'll start with a traditional pattern. Like if I'm looking at a double wedding ring, the shapes of the pattern itself, then I look at how can I change the information within the shapes so that it becomes something else visually. Um, but all of these things, these discoveries, it happens on my design wall. I don't start with a preconceived idea. I have no interest in that. In fact, once I design something on my design wall, everything gets laid out and designed on the wall. Once it's all the way that I want it, then I start to sew things together, which still means it doesn't, you just won't stay that way. It might still change as I'm sewing things together. Um, so it's, it's, if I know, <laughs> once it's all laid out on my design wall and I have to sew it together, I kind of really hate that part because <laughs> there's nothing left for me to discover. It's the discoveries the only other things that I would discover is when I sew something together wrong. And then I look at that and I go, well, is that something I can use for my next quilt? So the making the mistakes and the discovery of, well, what if I put it here? And what if I cut it that way? And what if I did this to it this time? Because I did that already on the last quilt. Like I'm always looking to see, well, what else can I change and do a little bit different and what kind of effect? I spend more time looking than I do doing anything else. That's really interesting. Okay, I have some some very practical questions, which is, okay, so you put it on the design wall. I totally get that. I can I I've done that. I cut a huge amount of fabric, way more than I ever need for one quilt, and I make a whole bunch of pieces and I'll cut them apart, or I'll sew a whole bunch of scraps together and make the made fabric. You mentioned the made fabric, right? figure out how I'm going to incorporate that or I've looked at the made fabric and I've sewn a bunch of scraps together and I'll find a pattern and a design within that fabric and then I have to figure out how I'm going to replicate that so it's all completely improvisational until it becomes something or becomes a pattern okay so what's your strategy for getting it from the design wall to the sewing machine and keeping it in the right order I know that's a really I do you have well, a strategy? I have probably 40,000 photos on my phone right now. Oh. <laughs> it's photographs. Yes, I take a photograph. Every time I move a single piece of fabric, I take a photo. Ah, lovely. So when I'm working on a project, you'll come across 2,000 photos on my phone of it that all seemingly look exactly the same, but there's one piece of fabric that has changed. I love it. Totally great. I just go backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards, making decision. Was it the right decision? Was it the wrong decision? Do I change it? Do I put it in a different color? Does it need to land in a different position? Does it need to go to the right? Does it need to go to the left? Does it need to go down, up, out, orange, white, black? Does it need to stay a hole? That's amazing. <laughs> like You're that. amazing. You're just amazing. This is just incredible. Um, how much do you um, rip out? Very little. Interesting. I make the quilt. I'm not a show quilter. Um, I do show quilts in quilt shows. I will only enter quilts in shows that I think I did an exceptionally good job on. I don't enter all of my quilts. I hate paperwork, so I don't do not enter a lot of quilt shows. Um, I try to enter my best work. I don't go to a quilt show and enter five quilts just because I have them. I look to see what do I think is my personal best at that particular moment, and I'll enter that quilt. It's really cool. But and- I'm not 
to do that. So if I'm making a quilt and I think, ooh, this is going to be a, my, my best to show quilt, I'm going to like make this thing great. First of all, I don't think that way because two, I'm not a perfectionist. I've made enough quilts. I know how to get things to line up. I know how to sew my quarter inch seam. I know how to make things fit together beautifully and perfectly, but I'm not obsessed about it. If I have to rip something out, I might fix, try to fix it twice. And after that, I'm like, forget it. I'm moving on. I got more quilts to make. I don't have time to do that. I like that. <laughs> that list in my head still has about 70 quilts on it in my lifetime that I need to get to. I'm not going to worry about whether that one seam is spot on or not. Cause actually once it's quilted and it's washed, you're never going to see that. Again. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so here's what happens to me. Perfectionist. Yeah. Okay. So here's what happens to me. I, um, I believe that every quilt I'm going to make. So first of all, I never put anything in a show and I'm not a show person at all. So this is my, um, my fantasy that happens every time I make a quilt and I've ma I make them, I made like 35 last year cause I'm experiencing everything in every way that I can for this project. Um, I begin believing this is going to be the most amazing quilt that anyone has ever seen ever. And then about, I don't know, a third of the way in, I'm like, yeah, no, nobody should see this. And then, by the, then there's a point where I think I should all be thrown away. And then by the end, I'm like, I just love it and I don't care. So do you okay. feel like, what's your process of quilting? Like, I know mine's ridiculous, but. Um, so let me just comment on that because what you just said there, mm -hmm. that is the creative process. You get an idea. You gather your fabrics, you, you start to make a plan and you start to get frustrated. You cut something and then you think, well, that was just wrong. And then you think, well, I was just stupid. I can't do this project. And then you start doing a skill that maybe you have to learn something and you think, well, this is impossible. And then you think, well, I kind of like the idea. So I'm going to persevere. And so you start to learn the skill and you tackle it or you don't and you're still happy with it and you continue. And then you start getting more of the quilt together and you think, oh my gosh, this is gonna be kind of cool at the end. And then you finish it and you're like, oh my God, I did it. Yeah. And then you're fabulous. That's really great. That's the creative process that's the right creative there. Process. That is normal and that's what every single person does. Do you think there's a moment where people feel like if they don't recognize that's the creative process, that they are throwing out quilts or they're stopping, that that moment yes. of like overwhelming, like like I'm failing, that they don't just push through? Yes. And that is a whole lot of personal baggage that I think does not belong in the creative process. Yeah. Yes to making mistakes, but it's not a personal attack on you. Yeah. You shouldn't be sitting there going, oh, I'm such a failure. It's fabric. You have more fabric. You can cut it up. We all know you have more fabric, okay? We all know that there's more fabric. The rest of your family might not know you have more fabric, but you know you have more fabric. Right? Do you think Yeah, but so all of that, so like who was telling that? I have students in my classes who will be like looking at something and they'll be like, I don't know, that's it's just not perfect. My husband's just really not going to like that. I'm like, who cares? Right. Your is he in your class right now? No, he's not here. That makes no difference. Right. <laughs> um, you were on uh, the Stitch TV, um, Lynn and Pam, and they've got their little motto that you can get um, baby clothes. Babies don't care. <laughs> babies <laughs> don't care. Babies don't care. All I love it. the time. And all these other people come to the classroom when they're, someone's trying to learn something like that stuff. There is no space for that. Yeah. There is your opinion and your fabric and there there might be a few people in your life whose opinion with the lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Does matter to you? The rest of the opinions, you know what they say about those. Like everybody, you know, everybody's got one. So you have to take care to the opinions that matter from the people who matter. But there's also a limit to that. You are the ultimate decider in your creative process to make a decision on whether or not it's good or not. Yeah. And ultimately, does it matter? You're making something. If yeah. you can't find joy, then you need to find a new hobby. Yeah, I totally agree. <laughs> go golfing. Go for a walk. Go, I don't know, uh, make ceramic beads. I, I, there's got to be something else that will satisfy your creative drive, right? So, and not somebody else's creative drive. So one of the things I imagine that my, my kid is a um, creative writer and intensive in a high school creative writer, so she can focus on that and sort of see the process in an art school. And I'm wondering about your training at art school. It seems like part of what art school is, is being comfortable with that process and being comfortable with critique and being comfortable with saying, I don't care what, you know, like, like all the things you're talking about, that creative process is what you're being trained in as much as the specific art of painting or sculpture. Would you, like, do you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, the, people come from lots of backgrounds, but I think in some way that gives you, that's, that's the creating, giving you a, you know, I don't art know, tools. School, a lot of the stuff that I learned in art school, and maybe it's my personality and the way that I look at things, I had a problem, I, uh, was combative, but I was also a teenager, remember, okay? Uh, combative, do not want teachers writing or drawing on drawings that, or paintings that I was working on. Mm-hmm. I, I'm very possessive to what I do. Uh-huh. And I would get into trouble with teachers because I'd be like, don't, don't mark on my paper. Like yeah. I just spent three hours making that drawing and now you just put a three inch mark on my drawing. And that's like, really like- cool. Yeah, that's but everybody is that though, and I think that's the person. That's a personality trait. I take what I do very personally, and it's mine. This is one thing that I can claim as what I do. This is what I do. I make, and these pieces are mine. So, in a critique, in a class critique, yes, critiques are very helpful, but again, that's a classroom full of opinions where only maybe one or two of those really matter. If yeah. you respect your teacher and you, and you appreciate that opinion, great. Then you can take it in and you can learn from it. I don't need a room full of people telling me whether or not something is good or not because they don't know what my emotional connection is to the project and they don't know my joy and they don't know what I'm healing. Yeah. So that's, that's like, gosh, you sound, you really, I mean, this is the I'm conversation. Very, that... very particular about this. And right. I get very strong about um, feelings about this kind of thing. Like I do this, I do this for me. I try to sit over here. I make the quilts that I want to make. I keep my head down and I just do what I want to do. Um, when this is not bringing me joy anymore, I won't do it anymore. That's really I'll great. Find something else. That's my prerogative. To it. So for the moment, I enjoy inspiring other people to find that 
that's what I like to get people to do in their classes. Not everybody can get to that point because, again, we are all coming at why we create for different reasons. But to find the people who do want to make or I don't want to say are as obsessive about, but people who are really dedicated to it um, get that. Yeah. And other yeah, people are really cool. That. I like yeah. that. That's really, that's really cool. Can we switch just a little bit to the sort of commercial economic side before we end? So what's cool, first of all, you, 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 are, you, you have built an empire. You are one of our empire quilter builder people. Um, you do everything, fabric, books, templates. You have a store, online store, and a, um, a um, regular, on, like, I don't know, analog store? Is that what? <laughs> brick and mortar store. Um, oh, wait, hold on. Let's see. Did we lose you on the sound? Say, um, I'm here. Can you hear okay, me? Okay, good. Um, tell me about that side of your world because the maker space and the creative space is one side. Do you see them as separate or t- or integrated? How did you develop the business side of your um, artistic life? All by accident. Yeah. The whole thing by accident. I make because I make, as I've stated. Um, I started a website called 15 Minutes of Play because people were asking, how do you make quilts without patterns? So I presented challenges uh, to doing what I do. That became very popular. It was an interactive website and ran for quite a few years. It's still there. It's just I'm not active on it anymore, um, which led to the book, 15 Minutes of Play. Um, And this was all kind of before social media rush. So when blogs were very new and very hot, happened at the right time in the right place, I guess, Um, because also I was working in a different way than other people. I wasn't writing patterns. I was working improvisationally. Um, So then that happened. So then the book came out and I started teaching and lecturing. And then I went about making, you know, the 13 double wedding ring quilts because I needed to make those. That was a personal journey. So then I made those. And then those were asked um, to be exhibited at the Wisconsin Quilt Museum. And I thought after I'd made like three quilts and I was like, but there's going to be like 13 and they're not done yet. They're like, we don't care. I was like, Oh, great. So I mean, I made the quilts and they were exhibited. And then I said, well, you're going to do a book, right? That's how you guys, <laughs> that's the, that's the, how that happened. I designed fabric quite a while ago uh, with a company and didn't really enjoy the experience. So then I let that go. So I thought, well, that would be a great way to bring my art background back into it. And that interests me. Um, and then I started working with, you know, different kinds of shapes and things like the double wedding ring and whatnot. So then I thought, well, I, I want my own shapes and then other people seem to want them as well when I was teaching. So then I started my template line. Like it all, it all happens as it happens. Um, one thing leads to another. I'm not a planner. I do not make lists. I lose them immediately. Um, so things just, they happen as they happen and the fabric came along after that, you know, I came, went back to it again when another fabric company came back to me and said, come on, let's, let's do this. And I'm like, okay. So I, you know, I, the opportunities present themselves and I get to decide whether I say yes or no. Um, and then uh, the shop happened because it, most of my online sales and from teaching the, all of the supplies and things used to be kept in my home studio, which I outgrew. So I rented a studio in the next building and then, my office space here became 
too filled with all of my products. So then I needed more space. And I said to my husband, I think I'm going to rent a space. He said, yes. So I moved it all out of my house. <laughs> and that's why you went up with a store. Uh-huh. Yes. So that works. Yeah. That's very cool. So it's completely by accident. And I just, I follow whatever happens next. And I, and I just keep making because that's, that's what I want to do. Now in your store, is your store devoted? It looks like it's devoted to your work only. Only my own products. It's really Everything in my store is my own product. It's my books, my patterns, my templates, my designs, my fabrics, all of that. Yeah. I just carry my own stuff because that's, that's what I'm familiar with. And that's what I do. It's really cool. Do you have how has that been? So how is having, I mean, the online store is one thing. How is being, you know, the store, the now having the store, how has that been? How long? The store has been around for two years. The website has been around for probably five or six years. Yeah. Um, so it's, is it, yeah, two, two years on the store. And that's been wonderful because everybody comes to New York City and they right. want to, visit the quilt shop and those who are familiar with my work people that will come to me are the people that are familiar with what I do and so when they come in I get to inspire them more I get to show them quilts that I've made all the quilts that I still want to make and give them ideas on how else you can use it and you know and and hopefully uh, inspire that little spark in them to grow and to go create their quilts and make more beautiful quilts um, okay, so I have two more questions. One is, um, well, one is about intellectual property because that's kind of the, the project's about. So we have to ask that question. It's kind of like, sometimes I forget to ask it, which is really lame. But, um, but the other is I wanted to talk about, um, on your website you have um, a book called Seeing Slowly um, by Michael um, Finlay. Um, husband, Michael Finlay. Yeah. It has two books, The Value of Art and Seeing Slowly. And... Um, Tell me what what your life is like having, like, the conversations must be amazing, right? The art and thinking about things. Do you feel like that's part of your life? Or is it like the humdrum of regular life gets in the way of, like, conversations like that? So my husband's an art dealer here in New York City. And he has been in the industry since he was, like, 17 years old. So he's been around for a very long time in the art world. And as an artist, we, of course, were drawn to very similar things as far as what we like. And, you know, when we go to museums, we have very interesting conversations from my side being a maker and his side being on the selling side. So we always have very interesting conversations about things. And where we come together is uh, is about looking. Um, he is a very good writer and talks very uh, conversationally about what he's learned or what he likes or what he sees uh, in the art world. Um, I think a lot about what he talks about, particularly in seeing slowly is also similar to what I'm teaching. And we, we, we get into very big conversations about this. So his thing is that, you know, when people go into a museum, oftentimes people are very intimidated by art because they don't know anything. And then I come in and I say, you don't have to know anything. You have to know what you like. And so we get in this big conversation and that's what he's talking about. And what I'm often talking about is, so if you're going into uh, a museum 
And I, and I use this analogy when I'm in my lecture. I say, if I send you into a museum and I stand you in front of the Mona Lisa and to the, next to the Mona Lisa, there's a William de Kooning, which is an abstract figurative painter. Where will most people stand? Most people will stand in front of the Mona Lisa. Why do they stand in front of the Mona Lisa? Because it's familiar. They know something that gives them comfort. Yeah. Other people... If you make them stand in front of the thing they don't understand, so put them in front of the abstract piece, and you say, okay, and I'll say, stand there for 15 minutes and look at it, and what do you see? So taking the time to stand there to look at it, you might go, oh, well, there's an eyeball up to the left. There's an eyeball down to the right. There's some pink. There's some blue. Ooh, I like that color. Like the more time you spend with it to looking at it without feeling the need to be given the information things start to come to you. And when that happens, that's the moment where ideas get created. So it's the same thing if I relate that to how I work on my design wall. If I put a piece of red somewhere and I'll be like, hmm, now do I like that there? Does it need to go to the left or the right? You know, back to that conversation. It's all about looking. And, and it's also about trusting your intuition. I think one thing um, a lot of people are very, we're very trained in the society to not use our intuition anymore particularly in the arts. For instance, like I said, going to a museum, you want all the information. People go into a museum, they take a picture of it on their phone. They might even take a picture of the label so that they can go home, look at it on their phone, read about it, and then feel like they've known something, but they've never actually looked at the painting. Right, and they may not even ever look at those things, on the pictures on their phone either, right? So this documenting, right? But I've never actually, you've never actually looked at it. Yeah. So that's then, you know, so what he's talking about there is, you know, you need to look. And when, I, when I'm in class and people go, well, I don't think this is going to look good. What do you think? I'm like, I don't, it doesn't matter what you think. Cut it, put it on the wall and look at it. Now, what does it look like? Does it look good? Is it in the right place? Is it in the wrong place? Finding your back to your intuition for your gut to tell you, is there something there? That's really interesting. Now, I'm just going to push you just a little bit more on that, and then we'll we'll end soon, I promise. Um, This concept of good, of looking good, like um, in copyright, we have this aesthetic non-discrimination thing where where judges aren't supposed to judge art because they don't have any skill at judging art, that everything gets protected. When When you look at something or when you're trying to teach people about what is good, do you feel like good is, is it that thing of like, I like this, or is it an outside... You know what I mean? Like, what? How do you define good? Yeah. I'm looking for something to say. If it's good, it's giving me an emotional response. Yeah. So if a student says, "Well, what do you think? Does this look good?" I say, "Well, what do you think? Does it look good to you?" Right. It's not about what I think. It's about me getting you to look at what's in front of you and to make a decision. People spend way too much time deciding: Is this the right red? Is that the right red? Just pick a red. Nobody else is ever going to care. <laughs> I'm I'm back to that list. I totally have to tell you a story about the red. So, I have clothes I got to get made. I cannot. Exactly. So, when we moved into the house, we moved into it was a fixer upper, and my husband wanted to paint the the um the uh, fireplace red. And so he kept painting it different red colors. And he painted so many different red colors that Sherman Williams cut him off and told him, no, we're not giving you any more red. Like, you've got enough red. So that, that that's, you know, that's what made me think of it, is nobody's going to care 
whether it's slightly more blue or whatever. And to, and to just to wrap up on that thought is, okay, so say you pick a red and you make the quilt and you finish the quilt and you look back at that and you go, man, that was so the wrong red. Well, did you not just learn something then? Right, right. That's still the gift. Yeah. So it doesn't matter if it's right or wrong. You just need to make it. The more quilts you make, the better you get at looking. Yeah. You have to keep making and you have to keep looking if you want, if that's what your goal is in the creative process of so making. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, I have like a thousand more questions, but I'm going to ask you, I'm not going to, um, you've been so kind to chat with me and I really appreciate it. This is so cool. Um, this is really awesome. Um, in l- <laughs> you like talking about this. Well, I'm just, yeah, on a soapbox too. So <laughs> yeah, it's fabulous. You're just amazing. You're, I mean, of course. Fun. Like, it's fun. You should be having fun. That's the joy. You should be having fun. So yeah. if you're really struggling, you need to find a way to cut loose those voices and get back to your instinct and yeah. listen. Listen to yourself and listen to see what is it saying. I love it. I totally love it. Um, all right. Intellectual property. Any thoughts, worries? How much? So I, I have a philosophy of what this is, but I'm curious, like, how much does that interplay with what you do every day and on the commercial side as well? Explain what you mean. I don't know. I don't well, so I suspect that, so intellectual property, copyrights, trademarks, patents, right of publicity, they protect what you do every day as an artist. Um, it's the, it's what gives you the property right to, to have the shop that you have so that other people don't sell your, your things. Um, but what we see with intellectual property at this point, particularly coming from the movie industry, which we do work with, and um, the, the recording industry, is that where you used to have it as, like, it, the internet changed everything. So, like, how you make your money isn't by policing every little bitty thing that happens. It's more of a holistic, we love you as a brand, we buy your stuff because we love you. We trust you because we, we've done your work. Um, and that's where that comes, that, that idea of sort of why does it matter? Like what role does law play? And I don't think, it, I imagine it doesn't play a huge role in what you do every day, but it does protect your work. Right. Okay. I don't know that this is going to answer your question, but this made me think of something um, that I think kind of relates to this. Yeah. Um, there have been instances, of course, in the art art and quilting world where people will make something and there's a conversation about what is derivative and not. Yep. All right. So if I'm teaching a class on made fabric, I'm just, as an example, there's no no specific instance. I'm just using this as an example. So you take a class, my class, you do 15 minutes of play. You maybe use a block from my book or incorporate something that I've said into your quilt. There is this, um, you finish the quilt, you make it, you want to submit it to a quilt show. There's always a question. There's not always a question, but there's often a question. Is this your own design? Who do you who do you give uh, credit to your inspiration for? Usually, now there is there's there's this interesting line, and I don't quite understand where this comes from. Somehow along the way, people think that it's a that it's an insult to them to give credit to who inspired them. 
that is something I do not understand. I love to tell people who has inspired me along the way. My grandmother, I wouldn't be doing any of this if I'd never found Tanya Rikuchi's blog, right? Antique quilts. I look mostly at antique quilts because there are artists back there who didn't know that they were artists and they were making really interesting quilts. I try not to look at what's going on today. I try not to look at popular books now. I want to come up with my own things based on shapes. But I find it very interesting. I get emails from people and they'll be like, well, I took, I did, I took your class and I use a made fabric and I've done, you know, I've made this quilt and, you know, I have to have permission to, and to say that, you know, I did that, but it's okay if it doesn't work because, you know, it's still my quilt. And there's always this sort of secondary thing like they're, they don't I don't know, know ashamed or they don't feel they need to they just don't know right they they're very uncomfortable yeah they don't right. want to give me credit or inspire them oh, and they feel they're like it's like fist held tight on this and i think it's a real privilege and a joy to be inspired by somebody i yeah. don't know why people hold on to this so hard be like well that's my that's my yeah. idea it's defensive so, Right. I give you tools and that you've made something really beautiful and I'm really, really happy for you. Thank you for sending me that email and asking me. I appreciate that. Thank you for listing my name as inspiring. Do you know how wonderful that is for me to hear that I've made that moment for you? Yeah. That's, that's fabulous. I want to share that. There are people that inspire me every single day and I'm like, life would not be joyful without that inspiration. So, I don't understand why people feel so offended by having to give credit by somebody who inspired them. Yeah. That's- okay. So let's let me let's end on this 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 best practices because this happened yesterday where sort of the similar situation happened. Us an image got posted. It was an art quilt quilter. Um, another group in um, around the world. Um, sent her a sense saying, look what we did. We made a version of your thing and can we publish it? And she was really upset about it because, and she posted online and then somehow she got to me because of what I do. And um, what's the best price? So they, they see somebody's inspired by your quilts or they take your class or, you know, there's somehow they've created a derivative work of your work. Like, do you want them to be asking permission? Do you want them to ask permission before they begin? Like, like, at what point should they be contacting the artist? Because I think there's an intimidation factor as well of like, at what point am I asking permission or not, I guess? So again, this goes back to what I said earlier about some of my quilts are not patterned. So if you're looking through my book and you're like seeing a quilt and there's not a pattern in the book and you're like, wow, that's really cool. And I make a fairly close derivative of it. I may have changed the colors, but the design is absolutely the same. I've seen a few quilts around the internet lately where I'm like, I thought that it was somebody else's quilt because it was such a clear copy of the original quilt. And it wasn't. That's a fine line. Yeah. When you can't determine that it's yours, that it's so close that now let's say they do it because I think about like being in art school and you're supposed to, you know, probably not when you were in art school, but the old timey art school of when you like you do the masters and you you make versions of it. But what was different was you weren't posting it on the Internet. 
So it was your own private, like if I say, oh, I want to make that quilt so that I, I see if I can do it that way, that's really different than just changing the colors, would you say? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think, and this is, goes back to what I said about, you know, people feeling very insecure because even if they've looked at, I mean, you can just pick any quilt that I've done, like say my double-edged love, it's it's copied, the concept is copied constantly. Yeah. None of them ever look exactly like it. That's fine. And I'm, and I love to see it and I'm happy that you put your name on it. If you go in and you start picking the exact same colors and looking at strategically putting like the same bones back into that quilt and following, you know, where I left something out, whatever, whatever, right. like these are all of my personal creative decisions. Where, where are you in that story anymore? Yeah. Just because you've copied it or made, you know, things that look very similar to it, that's, it's, it's not yours anymore. You, you're not making any of those personal decisions. So that's why I keep telling people, like, make your own quilts. I'm giving you shapes that you can yeah. play with. You get to drop different things into it. You can construct it differently. You can add other elements. There's so much out there for you to do. Quilting is like a giant play sandbox. There are so many toys in the sandbox to play with. So you, you can don't add think your personal touch to it and make it look different. You don't yeah. have to make my quilt. What do you have to say? What can you say? Just because you're copying it doesn't make yours unique. It just so you just have to put yeah. some more of your own personal choices in there. There's so many more things that you can do to it yeah. that I haven't done. So and do you I think so I think about when I so when I grew up I did um, Danish cross stitch with my mom which is this ridiculous yeah so um, and it was all about following the pattern and I was always like I screw it up I didn't like to rip out so I'm like okay well now it's not a person it's a house right so I figured out a way to like not have to rip out right but the point of that and for my mother was getting it right and so sometimes I think that it isn't out of like that quilters some quilters out there are like my mom doesn't feel creative. She wants to do what you did because she loves what you did. How do you feel about those people that are like my mom, that are like, I want to make that the way they did it, and that's the art in itself, or not even craft, but maybe the craft in it, that they, is there a space for those people that don't want to be creative but just want to re replicate? Or do you think that that's not what quilting's about? That's why there's a pattern. That's why there's a pattern. That's right that information to be able to replicate it yeah so if it's not in a pattern it's not there for you to be i love that that divide is such a nice divide it's clear that's the commercial division between what i do as an artist and what i do as a thing so if i make a quilt and i think okay this is pretty cool people are going to want to make this there are the people who want to duplicate it that's perfectly fine that's why there's a pattern for that yeah. So if you have a quilt show and you find a quilt and you're like, oh, I could go home and do that, you know, just remember there are people in this industry. We're not making lots of money here doing this stuff. That's the other kind of myth that I think is really interesting. People are like, well, I'm not going to pay 12 bucks. I'm going to give that pattern to all of my friends now that I've paid for it. You yeah. That's like, well, it's not yours to give. We yeah. spent that time to do that and to share it. Or you could go figure it out. You know, some people like to look at a quilt and just go figure it out. But you got to remember that, that that's that's where it becomes a copy. That's yeah. not that's not your work. That's not your work. That's right. 
That's right. And that's what the copyright law says too. So, I mean, you can revert. I mean, there's a whole bunch. It's complicated. But, yeah, right. that sort of taking money out of pattern makers is not a good thing. Buy the pattern. Just buy it. Well, I also think we're in a very interesting situation in the quilting world itself, uh, economy, all of that kind of stuff. Um, you know, we have the baby boomers who are maybe not buying as much as they were. Uh, we have the newer quilters who are coming up who are not quite ready to you know, hit all the big quilt shows and spend the huge amount of money yet. You know, there's sort of a, there's a small gap in the bubble of the quilting world. So, you know, we have to keep it going. We all need to play nice. There's too much free stuff on the internet. Like you got to support your shops. You got to support your stores and your designers because it has to get through the bubble. Yeah, it's got to get through <laughs> the bubble. bubble coming where, you know, the, the younger generation of buyers is still coming up you know, to have that sort of income to keep the industry going. And it's, it's important. And that's the thing where it gets sketchy with the internet and how much stuff is out there is, you know, what, what happens to all of that? I don't know what happens to that. We're all going to find out what happens to that. So right? interesting. We live in interesting times, don't we? We do. We do. Interesting. Yeah. Well, this is... The beauty of this is that it's, we have such a cool industry itself. The quilting world, I can go anywhere that's the other part of social media that is really nice about that i can go anywhere in the world and i can be like hey i'm going to tokyo where are the tokyo quilters right and i can show up and i immediately have friends it's so cool i don't know them but i know them you know them. <laughs> right. that's the beauty and Love the fabulous tool of what we have with the internet and the quilting industry it's, itself it's and really again, remarkable isn't it that's the joy. That's the part that keeps us all coming back together and why I keep making because I love it. I love going out and meeting the quilters. I love watching light bulb moments go off so that you all can go make beautiful quilts. It, I get so many ideas when, uh, when I'm teaching a class from my students, like they'll be working on something. They might not see something and I'll be like, oh, that's so cool. Now I can go home and I can work out that idea. What can I do with that? And yeah, so it, it works both ways. I, I give ideas. I get ideas. It's just, it's very cool that way. Well, this has been the best way to start a Friday morning. I have had, <laughs> it's really great. I appreciate your time and your thoughtfulness. It's just really, it's amazing. It's, it's amazing. Well, thank, you. thank you for reaching out. I'm really pleased. Always happy to talk to you. Oh, this is great. So this is Elizabeth Townsend Guard. You've been listening to Just Want a Quilt, a research podcast coming out of Tulane University Law School. We want to hear from you. Join our army, our quilting army. Go to our Facebook page. Suggest people.